Sarah? Yes, Josh? Are we ready? I think so. Great. Before we begin, we here at the Puppet Pod would like to acknowledge and honor that this land where we are situated is on a portion of the Aboriginal territory of the Seneca people, and by extension, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. We pay respect to Seneca peoples, past, present, and future, and offer our care and gratitude to the land, water, and air. For more information, please visit the Seneca Art and Culture Center at Ganondagan in Victor, New York. That's G-A-N-O-N-D-A-G-A-N. Or online at www.ganondagan.org. Thank you. Hi, my name is Emma. Can we try another take of it? Okay. Hi, my name is Emma Wiseman. And my name is Emily Zamba. And I think puppetry is goofy. And I think puppetry is very uncanny valley. Puppetry is hard because everybody thinks you do birthday parties. Puppetry is hard because people have so many different ideas of what they think it should be. Hello and welcome back, puppet friends, puppet fans, puppetinos, what the puppeteers, any other thing that you might call yourself who is listening to the Puppet Pod. My name is Josh Rice. I am so happy to be here with you once again. And as always, I have my uh, trusty sidekick, the uh, Wonder Woman to my Aquaman, maybe? Sarah Stabley. Sarah, would you, was that, would that be an accurate representation? I don't know. I've never actually seen either of those movies. Uh, well, I, I was just trying to give you more props because Wonder Woman, I think, is much cooler than Aquaman. And the movie is certainly better than the Aquaman film. But right, I don't know. I'll take maybe it. people are like, yeah, maybe people like Jason Momoa out there. I don't know. Um, oh, my God. Handsome. He is so attractive. He's, he's pretty he's, attractive. He's my boyfriend. Didn't you know? Well, comparatively, then, if you could put Jason Momoa up against me with this mustache that I'm currently wearing, which for the people out there, if they want a visual, the way that my hair is combed over right now and my mustache, I look either like John Wilkes Booth or <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, perhaps. Also, like my, in my best moment, maybe Gene Wilder, like a young 70s Gene Wilder. So taking all those things into account, me versus Momoa, Sarah, what, what do you say? I don't know. I don't know. It, uh... I'd have to put you guys side by side. So when that day comes, I will certainly let you know. I will call him up and I'll say, yo, Jason, my, uh, I love what you're doing for the environment. You know, way to call out Chris Pratt for having a plastic water bottle while he's working out and doing it on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it was. Appreciate it. Come stand next to me and then we'll, we'll figure it out. Once I'm excited call. for that day. I am too. Uh, snake update. I did not go to the theater today. <sighs> And for anyone who is maybe tuning in for the first time to the Puppet Pod, in our last episode, we were beaming in. I was all by myself, so it was safe, in the theater that I utilize and we make shows in, in Perry, New York. And we found out that there was a California king snake that was a pet 
of the neighbors upstairs that had escaped and went under the door into the theater, never to be found. So it is somewhere inside the theater, and I was losing my mind yesterday while we were recording the podcast, and I was not there today. So I I can't tell you a snake update, Sarah, other than I'm not terrified. So that's a good thing. All right. Well, you know, and it might be a good thing to have the snake in the theater. See, I'm a big big proponent of having the snake there, because then, you know, we... Not that we had a mice problem, but if we did, we're definitely not going to anymore. Are you trying to suggest we should drop some mice into the theater so the snake I am can worried. Like, be really of yeah. use? We're using this resource to the best of our ability? Yeah, I'm really worried about the snake going hungry. I'm not, but you know, that's beside the point. We're here today to talk about snakes. Sorry. No, we are here today to uh, use this podcast about puppetry to talk to puppet artists. And we have two awesome ones here. A great segue, by the way, that I just made. We have two really incredible puppet artists that were supposed to be a part of the 2020 New York State Puppet Festival at said theater in Perry, New York. And unfortunately... Uh, a pandemic happened, and we have since had to postpone for a year. However, these two incredible artists are here with us today. They were going to make a show for us. They'll tell us all about it. They are Emily Zimba and Emma Wiseman. Hello, friends. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Thank you. So fun. Uh, for the listeners out there who don't know which one of you is which, should we like have you say your name so they can pair the voice to it, or should we let them guess? Ooh, both <laughs> of those sound fun but let's uh (laughs) let's let them guess and we'll reveal it at the end Ooh, i like this oh i like that Ooh, i like this this is a nice game a game within a pod very nice well how are you first of all emily zemba uh we'll we'll go with you first how are you you're in brooklyn uh currently at the moment how are you hanging in you've unmasked me my voice um i am (laughs) oh no i ruined the game (laughs) god damn it uh i uh i'm i'm hanging in i'm in brooklyn the sound of brooklyn just fed by my window maybe we'll hear that maybe they won't yeah i've been locked down sheltering in place in my apartment doing some writing doing some working yeah hanging in very nice yeah, best we can, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the uh, the listeners out in podcast land, they can't see this when they listen to this podcast, but the background uh, of Emily Zemba's Zoom screen right now is not actually a virtual background. It's this incredible quilt that you said your mom made you of your childhood t-shirts? Yeah, yeah a collection of, of many, many t-shirts that were being hidden away for years without my knowledge. Camp shirts, middle school play shirts, I Love Lucy fan shirts, and then my mother made them into a quilt, the first quilt she ever made, and the only quilt she ever made. It's hanging behind me right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cool, I have to say. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today, Emily, and uh, we have Emma is here as well. Emma, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm uh, also here in Perry, New York, and it's beautiful. And yeah, I think things have been fine. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. And um, (laughs) it has been going in like funny circular movements. But yeah, similar to Emily, sort of trying to get some work done and trying to lean into relaxation and, you know, just taking it 
Moment by moment. Word. Again, I appreciate you being here also. I don't know if we should reveal to the world why we are in the we same place. Relationship. <laughs> That's right. Ew. I know. It's Ew. really gross. Relationships are hard because... Relationships are hard because <laughs> you are in a house together while someone's starting a podcast and you have to listen to it happen. This is an intervention, actually. Um. <laughs> It's going great, though. It's going great. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, I'm pumped to actually have you two here. I was so excited for the show that you have been working on uh, ever since we first started seeing it happen, the first kind of works in progress of it at Dixon Place at Puppet Block, which for people that don't know, is kind of a really nice way to develop new works of puppetry in the city. And that's where I first saw this piece. And you all have been working on it for a while. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about the piece and um, how it started? Why you started working on it? And yeah, what people to know about OOO. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We have been kind of working our way around this concept piece for like four years. Gosh, or yeah. Or maybe so. less than that. I think it's like around four Time years. Time is a flat circle. Um, which... <laughs> Time, again. Time is a flat circle. A flat circle. Well, the beginning of this flat circle actually takes place an office you similarly worked does. in, right? Yeah. So OOO, did you say this? It stands for out of office. And the show takes place in an office and involves a lot of office language and office activities. And it was inspired really because Emily and I were both working at jobs in the same office sort of room for different companies on wall street in the trump building at 40 wall street (laughs) and that is i don't even know why emily we like started thinking we had to make a play about it i think part of it was like getting a lot of really weird very corporate emails yeah involving some weird like sign-offs and kind of what does a weird corporate sign-off sound like? Let's put our shoulders to it, to end of day, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was like a lot of weird phrases like, you know, we, we have to get our noses under the tent. Um, we've got to look at this with a sharpened pencil. It's been so long now. But we, we basically started keeping a, a sort of shared Google Doc of all of the verbatim email language that we were receiving and hearing from our bosses yeah i remember emma i feel like it was you i remember when you first started sort of as stealthily as you could copying and pasting some of these emails you were receiving (laughs) and sending them to me and i would receive them on my in my outlook email or maybe my gmail are like private emails from the other side of the office And so that sort of began, I think, this like deep dive exploration into just the weird shit that we were experiencing from these like corporate. It was so odd. Yeah. It was super, yeah, it was very bizarre and very surreal. And I had, I had not really worked in like a office environment before. So, because I had been working in coffee shops and babysitting and it was my first few years in New York City. And so there was just somehow this office environment that was so in some ways rote and, and kind of cliche, but was also run by these people who were, were kind of hanging on by the seat of their pants. And it was sort of 
toxic and confusing and people were fighting and you know there was something very absurd about that environment I think and weirdly because it seems like it should be the opposite of a sort of generative place for theater I think because of its kind of unreality and absurdity it it became a very fertile ground for us to just be like this is great this already is theater like we don't actually I think that's sort of what it was we were like the thing itself is insane and compelling in its weird way yeah it's sort of that phenomenon of like no one will ever believe this that this is real (laughs) that people are talking like this and I think it was also the just the feeling of like being swept up in it ourselves too it's weird how quickly you adapt to the rules of a of an absurd world like and and yeah and then with while you're practicing the rules or doing your best to follow the rules of you know corporate clear email language and copy machine etiquette and lunch breaks and snack fridge like as you're like moving within that you start to <laughs> the snack <laughs> fridge oh the snack fridge was snack cabinet. epically yeah. dramatic <laughs> emily had to send around a, a <laughs> a survey to everybody who worked in the office about which snacks they would prefer to see in the snack cabinet. (laughs) And it was, it was just so not a joke. Like I tried to respond to it in a joking way. And even that like, wasn't yeah, it was okay. Wasn't received well. It, uh, well, it was suggested to me by one of the, one of the lawyers, one of the junior attorneys in the office in the, for, (laughs) that I worked for, uh, she was like, maybe you should send around a survey. I really think that would help. <laughs> and so, I don't know. She was happy to receive it. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you have this amazing, like, shared, unique experience of working in this office together. And then, of course, you guys have a familiarity with one another and background as artists because you'd worked together before getting this corporate job. Just to be clear, you aren't... Normally working in a corporate office setting, that's not your that background. That's true. Yes, we went to undergraduate school together at Sarah Lawrence College. Yeah. Another shout out to SLC. Mm-hmm. Shout out to SLC. Where puppets are born and, and bred. Where puppets are born. And puppets and puppeteers, puppeteers are born, yes. <laughs> Speaking of that then, how I know this is a, a tough question sometimes to answer, especially when you're at a party and you meet someone for the first time or maybe you're hanging out with your family and they want to know what you do or you are like, hi, I'm Josh and I do this. How do you like, what's your typical answer? I know it's probably different context to context, but would you say I am a puppeteer? That's how I identify or I am a playwright. This is how I identify. Curious for like those, those moments for you. Like, how would you, how would you say that? I would say, I think I, you know, usually identify as a playwright, which has different contexts and meanings to different people. So sometimes that requires further explanation. But I think also I say, I don't know, I'm a playwright and I also make weird theater stuff with my wackiest friends <laughs> come in like <laughs> basements and weird rooms. Come see us. You won't, you won't believe it. So yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a good pitch to like a relative at a, at a holiday gathering of some kind. Come to the basement, Aunt Mary. Come to the basement. It's weird. It's extra weird. weird. Get on board. <laughs> I never used to say that I was a puppeteer. Went in the first 
I don't know, after leaving school. Why, why is that? I think there were a couple of reasons. I think I was still, not to say that I've let this go now, but I think I was sort of excited about being an actor and being a sort of performer on stage. And at Sarah Lawrence, there's this real, as you know, focus on on original work and devising and kind of doing your own thing. And uh, so there's... What am I trying to say? So yeah, basically I was having like an identity crisis, I guess, um, because I wanted to sort of bring that identity into the world, which which is inherently kind of multifaceted and complicated. You know, the I I I, ca- I would call myself mostly probably an a multidisciplinary artist, which of course people also don't know what the exactly hell you're right about. exactly. And, you know, it's almost like. It's almost like aggressively, like, let's stop talking about it because it's, you know, people are just like, what do you mean? But I would often say, like, I, I'm, i you know, I'm a performer. I, I do sort of multidisciplinary work and some puppetry. And the only thing people would ever hear was puppetry. And they'd be like, what? Puppet, you know, puppets? What do you mean? And so that sort of became the thing that people remembered and people would sort of uh, hang on to. And that I think that kind of, in a way, drove the fact that I, like, continued to do more puppetry than, like, movie acting or, like, whatever my sort of alternate reality fantasy actor world was. Uh, I think people, you know, would, like, meet me and have that conversation. And then two weeks later, somebody would be like, do you know any puppeteers? And they would be like, yes, I do. So now I do say puppeteer. I think it sort of took becoming more confident in my, like, puppeteering ability as like a performer because I do actually feel like the work that like I create as a as a sort of theater maker and that Emily and I create in collaboration it's like doesn't doesn't fit like super squarely sweetly into like this is a puppet show so I think there's still that sort of like leeway on either side but I now I do say like I'm a puppeteer and a puppet artist and I think again it's so context-based how we choose to identify as artists, you know, because I think when I, you know, I, I have acted before and I think my family's still like, oh yeah, you're an actor. People get that. They understand what that is pretty quickly. Um, but a puppeteer sometimes needs a little bit of explaining because people certainly bring what they bring to it. And then at the same time, I think we as multidisciplinary artists, which I think we all are here, that also feels like it's limiting us in some way, perhaps, you know, to say that you are just a puppeteer is also doesn't do service to all the other things that we all have to do, because we all like to make our own work. And in making your own work, there's so much of like self producing in it as well. And, you know, you guys in your collaboration, you both do the writing, um, but you're also both doing puppetry and choreography and singing and <laughs> designing and building the objects. I mean, it's a really, it's hard, I think, to yeah. identify in that way, right? Yeah, I think there's a pull to sort of want people to understand how, <laughs> how like interesting <laughs> you are, or right. like how many, how we contain multitudes and, you know, maybe... I don't know. There's a process to to just being like, if you want to pursue a conversation with me about my multitudes, we can. And for now, I'm just going to say I'm a puppeteer. I hope you say that sometime at one of your parents' oh Connecticut parties. If you'd like to talk about my multitudes, I, want that on a I would be very happy to. That would be so good. A t-shirt that would be sewn into your quilt behind Correct. it, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> to be clear. Correct. 2020 edition. Uh, amazing. Well, um... 
why don't we take a quick break? And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the multitudes of Emily Zemba and Emma Wiseman. <laughs> Great. Let's face it, puppetry is hard. It's even harder during a pandemic. The form is predicated upon people being in very close proximity to one another to puppeteer something and having an audience to see it. But the field persists, adapts, and pivots. And the New York State Puppet Festival and Shake on the Lake are doing just that in presenting their brand new online puppetry series, NYSPF at Home. This series of brand new short puppetry works made for an online, on-screen audience features some of our favorite artists, many of whom have been and will be featured on the Puppet Pod, including Andy Manjuk and Dorothy James with Bill's 44th, a Zoom birthday, Just Another Lynching, an American horror story by the artist Jigetto, Out of Office by Emma Wiseman and Emily Zemba, and a brand new multimedia puppetry piece from Tom Lee. NYSPF at Home brings puppet artists from their respective quarantines to you in your home starting in October and running through January. For more information and virtual tickets, please visit www.NewYorkStatePuppetFestival.org. That's www.NewYorkStatePuppetFestival.org. Puppetry is hard, but watching it in your home is easy with NYSPF at Home. Hey folks, before we get back to the episode, just a heads up. After we recorded this initial interview, we went back to review the recording and found that about halfway through, Emily Zemba's microphone was experiencing some technical issues and giving feedback on the audio recording. So we had to go back and re-record the last two segments several weeks later. You might notice some audio differences as well as some time discrepancies, but thanks for bearing with us. And now let's get back to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Already Cutting Up. Welcome back to another episode of the Puppet Pod. Uh, it is late in the evening. There might be a drink in the hand of all people participating, and, and those things might be alcoholic or not. Who can say? We can't tell. We don't have sponsors who are monitoring. We are very excited to be re-recording, like we did with the uh, a previous episode with Rowan McGee. Uh, we are re-recording an episode with folks in the same neighborhood, quite frankly, and I think the neighborhood maybe is the issue here. It's, it's the Ditmas Park crew, but regardless... We're so pumped to be able to be chatting once again with Emma Wiseman and Emily Zemba. Hello, friends. How are you this evening? Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having us again. Love a re-record. Love to do it again. <laughs> Love to do it once and then again. <laughs> Love to do it twice. <laughs> and not it also remember. Should be mentioned. Exactly. It should be mentioned that... Between us and Roan McGee, you've also got three-fourths of people who all lived in the same apartment once they all graduated from college together. <laughs> so it could it's be the, that. It's 666 was the address and it was 666. of that apartment. So. Perhaps that was the curse all along of this podcast. I think it's also worth mentioning, too, that 
Emily, you are coming and beaming in from Brooklyn, but not just any place in Brooklyn. You're actually beaming in from our other podcast studio, which is AKA Emma and my apartment in Brooklyn. And you are there right now and we're looking at you. Correct. I am inside. The call's coming from inside the house, Josh. (laughs) Terror, terror. I'm here without you. Six, six, six. They're like keeping it all in the family on the puppet pod. Well, we're really excited to have you both here. I know when we first spoke, a lot of what we were chatting about was a show that you uh, were originally going to bring to the 2020 New York State Puppet Festival that has since not happened because of the pandemic. We have since gone online to create a streaming version of said festival, and you both have now created a new version of said show that will be uh, streamed live on said festival in November. So I'm just curious if you all can kind of talk about maybe some of the process in taking your show from a live stage version into a film version. We're coming in hot right away. Coming in hot. (laughs) So wild. Things move so quickly and then not at all. And then quickly again is how I feel like this whole thing happened. Yeah, I don't know. Emma, why don't you take it away? (laughs) When do we get here? It's it's wild. It's funny to do this pod pod re-record at this moment because I think both Emily and I are so like in the middle of thinking about this project. Um, We just saw a a rough cut of the filmed version. Yeah, we saw our first rough cut. We're we're engaging in a quite steep learning curve when it comes to um, directing and writing and producing and starring in a short film. Um, And... Yeah, it's been, it's, yeah, this is, I guess, what I mean. It's sort of hard to, like, it's hard to see it from above because I feel so sort of deeply immersed in it exactly right at this moment. But we um, we were so thrilled. I mean, this is just so many stories like this in COVID where it's just been so awful, and yet there are these sort of silver linings that tend to, to happen, whether it's because you get to sort of stay home for a few months or, you know, for those of us who are... Um, lucky enough to be able to do things like that. But in terms of getting the chance to make this theater project into a film project, I think Emily and I just, I don't know, it sort of reignited like an excitement about it in a different way. Um, The project is called Out of Office. It's called OOO Out of Office. And it's funny because we talked about this on our previous pod recording, but I guess we should reiterate (laughs) that the the piece is about two colleagues working in an office where while apocalypse uh, sort of slowly descends upon the world outside their building, office supplies have been like making their way to the office itself and creating a sort of post-human utopia for themselves to live ever after um, in this environment that is very inhospitable to humans, actually, but quite hospitable to staplers so (laughs) that's that's the play and um yeah being able to make it into a being able to even have the opportunity because of because of the puppet festival to even consider it as a film was is a was a completely unexpected um gift 
so I don't know in terms of taking it from, from a sort of live thing to a filmed thing. It's just, it's been wild. It's been familiar in so many ways to revisit this work that we've been thinking about and working on for probably three or four years now. And it's been totally alien in other ways to, to actually get into the room and have to make, you know, we only had two days of filming and we did, you know, 12, 13 hour days with just two other people who were just troopers and, you know, <laughs> helped like shepherd this thing, you know, into a camera and we had to make some artistic and sort of conceptual decisions about the piece that interestingly, like the theater form, we never quite had to make, you know, the theater, the theater version of the show was always in some kind of flux because it was always a work in progress. There was always another opportunity to kind of do another iteration. Um, it was kind of a, a constant like continuum of, of just working on it and thinking about it and changing little things. And, and suddenly when you're faced with like, okay, well we have six hours left and you know, here are, <laughs> here's the shot list. Like you just have to break it down into so many ways that are, um, just inherently like more concrete than we had been working with before. Yeah. So that was a, yeah, that was a big part of it. Yeah. I think it's, I think, uh, the word familiar you said it's like familiar and also not at all it's a really like thematically driven piece I think and conceptual piece it's about the end of the world it's about you know object oriented ontology in a way which is a idea that sort of gives objects a sentient life beyond human understanding right and so the questions I feel like even as a theater piece we always asked were and uh, like of any, I think, especially puppetry piece, I think the questions are like, what is the story? Whose story is it? And how do we know? Like, what do we see? Right. Which is we had to solve those on stage or in rather not stage on not stages in like small uh, offices and in weird spaces where we were mounting the piece. And then to move it to film, it's the same questions but they require different kinds of answers. And also it's like that weird chicken and egg. Like you don't know how to answer the question when it's a medium you've never worked in before. Um, so like what do we see suddenly and whose story is it or how do we know what the story is suddenly becomes a whole other problem to solve where you're like, well, it's a camera and we can we can zoom in. We can, we can show people exactly <laughs> what they should be looking at at any given time. And um, – yeah, all of those yeah, the very tools. what? Sorry, the tools yeah. the, the tools of film are are so different actually than the mm -hmm. tools of theater. Yeah, in so many ways. Yeah, totally. Besides the optics changing, did the story change much as you kind of adapted it for a screen version versus the live stage performance? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the story has uh, sort of been consistent in some ways and then becomes you know we we can sort of get more specific about certain aspects of it as we spend more time and as we flesh out the piece but I think also I don't know I don't know if you feel this way Emma because we're we just looked at a rough cut right of all the footage we caught in the room and and like I'm sort of I feel like I'm looking at something for the first time with the question of like well what's what is the story like what story did we just tell in the room it's probably a little bit different than the story that we had 
uh, when it was live theater, and it's probably a little bit different than the story we had like on the page. Like, I don't know. I think we've sort of been going yeah, towards sure. the same general story. Yeah, I think I think we're definitely going to be surprised at the end of this filmmaking process. But w- one interesting thing about um, the story being told through film is that we filmed it in an office. And so we had um, the fluorescent lights and we had the copier and we had the carpet. You know, (laughs) there are all these elements that I think in the theater version we were thinking about in our heads a lot, you know, thinking about these sort of images and, and juxtaposing things that are just coded as mundane in our lives, you know, sort of basic office environment and and juxtaposing that with you know kind of apocalyptic language or or imagery from survivalist communities or preppers or whatever which is the kind of main thrust of the show in a lot of ways whereas in the theater version you could kind of gesture at those things with with some I don't know. You, we had a bunch of boxes like, you know, we just had sort of ways that we would kind of talk about it in a, in a sort of theater version. And, and I think on film, so much of the story is being told by just these static shots of like a recycling bin or yeah. a phone cord or, you know, these weird little office desk organizer things. There's just so much that we're able to 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 tell so much story yeah. that we're able to tell. So I, I, yeah, I don't know if it's like changing it so much, but it's definitely sort of, it's deepening it in a way. It's kind of like fleshing it out. And, uh, it's like a new honestly, discovery. I, I feel like that's the thing. Yeah. It feels like we, you know, we, we had to sort of manifest our environmental world. And when we're in like a small space or a black box or wherever you are, you sort of bring in all the materials you need to tell the story, like a bunch of boxes and a filing cabinet and a bunch of old phones. And then the thing that I knew was coming but wasn't quite prepared for, I think, about getting in an office to film this was the discovery of the story again. When you're like, wait, like, come over here, like, look at what this printer looks like if you press this button and make it print out pages. Like, get that shot. Like, we just, it's like rediscovering objects and things that you thought you knew in real life like everyone knows what a printer is and does but to like be looking at it through a new lens and through the lens of the story and sort of deciding like oh is this is this part of the story is this part of the world that we needed this whole time yeah we always wanted to concentrate on on really tiny on details that again are just like overlooked in in day-to-day life. And, um, we started making this piece because we were both working in a corporate office environment in New York city on wall street. And we just could, I mean, the absurdity and the surreality, surreality of it all was just, um, so overwhelming that we needed to make a puppet show. So we, you know, that's always been like a a main goal for us. And so, yeah, to just, I mean, not only were we like filming in an office, we were really trying to like, no put the camera on that printer and like keep it on there for a while, you know, and like look at this weird filing cabinet from up close and um, trying to like be there and kind of see it in a new, in a new way, really lean into the, (laughs) to the weirdness of it all. Plus anarchy and survivalist prepper culture. (laughs) 
is the last element that came into creating this piece. It was like while we were in this corporate environment, Emma was doing a lot of research about sort of like anarchy and the survivalist movement is what I'll call it. Um, and there's like a weird crossover between those kinds of languages and, and sort of the end of the world as we know it being a thing that everybody accepts and still like has to finish writing their emails like that I feel like is what sort of drove the piece to become uh what it is whatever it is (laughs) and an interesting crossover too between a lot of those people and uh the namesake of the building that you were working in (laughs) as well in some ways I feel like yeah well, hopefully, uh, you know, depending on how things turn out now in the second version of us talking together <laughs> from the first version this summer, hopefully uh, things might change a little bit in the coming days, but we shall see. So in the hopes for change, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with more Emma and Emily. Sarah Stabley. Joshua Rice. You were from Perry, New York, is that correct? That is correct. Our hometown? Our hometown. And what is our hometown known for? Having 800 cows for every one person. More cows than people, that's right. But what else? Um, ooh, the Silver Lake Sea Serpent. That's true, we do have a sea serpent myth. But what else? Um, sometimes the air smells like cookies because we have a cookie factory in town. That's right, and then because of the cows, some days it smells like cow shit. But what else? Um, well, we have a lot of bars, and we have even more churches. Yes, people do love to drink and love Jesus at the same time, but Sarah, what else? Um, oh, we have a Carnegie Library. Oh my god, Sarah, no, it's the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Right, 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 SLBP. That's right, that's right, SLBP, which is our very own craft brewery here in Perry, New York, which just so happens to be the closest brewery to... Letchworth State Park, the Grand Canyon of the East. So if you decide to go for a hike and see some of the gorges or any of the amazing waterfalls, then after you see all of these things, hike on over to the Silver Lake Brewing Project where you can try any one of their rotating selection of 11 craft beers specializing in Belgian and classic American craft styles. Sarah, that's like witchcraft, but beer, beer craft. Which is better. It is better. No one's being burned alive at the stake when you go to the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Sarah, what kind of beer craft is really tantalizing your taste buds? Right now, uh, it's definitely the Saisons. They're incredible. I would say the same for any one of their sour beers. They also have incredible IPAs and a classic Western New York cream ale. And you can come and have these beers in the tap room, which is an incredible place to visit. That was once a horse stable, and before that, a silent movie house, Sarah. Think of it, Buster Keaton riding a horse. With beer. That's right. Who wouldn't want to watch that silent movie? But if you feel like maybe you want to stay more socially distant, these beers are also available for curbside pickup, or you can sit outside on their patio and enjoy the sunshine and sip a tasty craft beer. So Sarah, Perry, New York is famous and getting more famous by the glass. Because we have a podcast. Well, maybe one day, Sarah, a podcast about puppetry. That's right. We're going to make it big. We're going to put the town on the map with this podcast, Sarah. But the Silver Lake Brewing Project is already helping. Check them out at www.silverlakebrewingproject.com. 
a puppet pod. We're back with more Emily and Emma. And uh, I'm excited to ask you both about, in, in your descriptions of the film version of OOO. It's called the major motion movie. The major motion movie of Out of Office. There seems to be, in the way that you described it, this really puppetry-oriented way, it seems like, of the form of film. And I know that so many of the tools are kind of similar, and in, in puppetry we're often sending the audience to focus on a certain thing. In film, you seem to have so much more power to make the audience focus on a particular moment, as you had mentioned about like the printers and, and all of these other things. Um, I'm curious if this idea of like, and again, even Emily, you mentioned like puppetry is so many things when you were talking about what puppetry is. And I'm curious now of this idea of film and puppetry kind of, smashed together in this really interesting way because of the opportunities that it affords to throw focus and really bring the audience in 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 these imagistic lenses that we're really trying to create and I just wonder if maybe you guys can talk about that a little bit yeah I think we both I think I can speak for you Emily when I say we prefer it actually (laughs) you do (laughs) I, we both, I think, got got very excited about um, about how like uh, sort of evocative, even just creating these images in in a sort of film in a film way. <laughs> words are coming out of my mouth. Filmic, the film, cinematic. The film yeah, way. there's something about um, the, the film f- way. There were the Emma what? <laughs> the Emma <laughs> Please join me for another episode of the film way. But, but there really were a couple of moments when we were, you know, in in the kind of craziness of the couple of days that we were trying to put this together in a film way. Um, where I really like, I was like, oh my God, this is the stuff. This was like in my brain. Like this Emily walking into a, into like an office wearing a gas mask that was in my brain and that like wasn't a thing that we could you know recreate as um as as much in in that way as like photographically on stage there's lots of other exciting ways that that we could portray it on stage and lots of other ways we could like delve into those those images but yeah there was something really so lush about being in the real place and creating the real images yeah I think it's like it makes me think yeah it's like in theater versions of it you're like in the theater you're trying to evoke something we're like well how do we evoke the idea that like Emily is walking into the office and breaking down a box and a stapler is watching her and she's in a like fluorescent lit hallway and then on film it's like well just well, you just do it. Well, let's just do it. And I feel like yeah, that like, was literal or something. Yeah. And I think that was the sort of new discovery of sort of like objects in place in the film way, because it's um, to just do it, to not to actually like take even more manipulation away to like take human gaze or understanding away and just let it sit 
just let it be the thing and like what does that do and is that puppetry and does that just does us just breaking down a box make you feel something does a stapler just sitting there without strings attached make you feel something it, it's like film like forced us to I think have to go there in yeah. ways that weirdly like you know you'd think it's the opposite but it feels uncomfortable to become so naturalistic I think suddenly that's what I yeah. have kept coming up against yeah I'm so curious I'm so curious <laughs> to see what people think of this thing that we're making on film because <laughs> there is especially in puppetry as we all know there's this like suspension of disbelief that is sort of inherent to the success of the medium and it's also a very human quality I mean humans can't really help but have their belief suspended when they're when they're faced with a puppet in a sort of live theater setting and I don't know, we, we had, we, it was, it was really exciting and interesting to experiment on the day with, you know, the, the quote unquote puppets for out of office are, are pretty, uh, pretty, um, you know, not, not heavily like mechanized things. They're pretty, they're, you know, there's sort of a river of office supplies that goes by. There's a, there's a boat that's constructed out of like mail and binder clips that goes by, you know, there isn't, there isn't a lot that's kind of like, it's all pretty, uh, handheld. It's all pretty, um, direct, you know, and in the theater version, it would be very obvious that like, you know, I'm holding this boat and I'm like walking slowly across the stage and you still think that it's, you, you get the impression that it's a boat. And on film, you know, we, we didn't have like, we weren't able to like ramp up the, the magic of that stuff, you know, we weren't doing, I mean, and this was like a lot of stuff that we talked about too. Like we, we didn't end up doing stop motion. We didn't end up, you know, rigging staplers so that we could like move their mouths up and down without seeing anything, you know? So, right. We tried um, for a minute. <laughs> we tried, and we then, tried for yeah. a while. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, and, and there's something, yeah. And I think there's, I, I am super excited to like move forward and like continue to experiment with Emily and with like film and puppet stuff. Like, I think it would be so fun. And yeah, I guess I'm wondering, I, 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 the stuff that we've seen so far, we're so close to it. So it's a little difficult, but, um, it's what Emily was talking about. It's, it's like, it's, it's the, um, confronting the audience with these objects and making, making things move in an uncanny way, you know, even if it's like, even if it's in this like literal world of film, literal medium of film, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm wondering, it's like a question for me. Like, is it, are people just going to be like, Oh, she's clearly behind the door, like pushing that thing. Or is it going to be like, Whoa, yeah, I don't know if people I, are going to be like, how did they do it? But I right, wonder if, if it will make you feel things like you said before, like, Ooh, can like me breaking down a box, like make you feel right. You feel yeah. No. And like, I think, maybe. I think like a, a large part, I'm saying this, I'm coming to this thought for the first time ever, but I think a large part of like the progression. Uh oh, we shouldn't. We can't do the movie. We can't do the movie. <laughs> no, uh, we no. A large part of the progression of our story, I think, is things get weird. It's sort of like, and then things get weird, and then things get weird, and. I think the question of like, well, how do they get weird? How are we going to know 
things are getting weird. Is the audience going to know that things are getting weird? How do we show them that things are getting weird in an office that's like when we're just in the office and we're actually doing the most mundane tasks and we're just like completing them? Like when do things get weird Mm -hmm. and what does it take to like uncanny is what like you saying the word uncanny sort of like lit a light bulb in my head. It's like where is the uncanny? Like where do we find it? How do you capture it? on film or anywhere like where, what do you mm-hmm. do and in theater it's it's just easier like yeah things get weird suddenly a woman rolls on <laughs> the stage <laughs> on a rolly chair holding a paper boat made of mail and paper clips and she keeps going for too long like that's weird and on film like i don't know when does when does it get weird yeah it's somehow like in film the whole world is built out obviously because it's the real world that that weird things can't just be like metaphorical or something mm. like they can't just be like a gesture they they somehow have to exist in this world that's already like photographically there and real and so it's a lot easier for things to look fake i guess and that's like we have you know this sixth sense as humans to to sort of identify mm. like when things are fake i think that's why we you know CG gets weird and, and, you know, all of these animated movies that are trying to be more and more realistic. It's like kind of encroaching on this thing, trying to, trying to, trying to fight this like impulse that we have to be like, no, that's not me. That's not human. That's Mm. not, you know, that's this uncanny valley or whatever. And so I don't know if there's one thing that I think we definitely did in this film and we'll see how successful it is. We didn't, really try to hide how fake the things were (laughs) you know you don't you don't see people's like hands and stuff but it's also not it's not I don't think it's trying to be magic and failing I think it's like very much what it is so I guess maybe in that way that could be like one method of of like moving puppetry into film you know for us anyway it sounds a little bit like a lot of puppeteers who have discovered this necessity to pivot toward film work because we can't gather in a small space anymore or have multiple people working on a thing we've figured out ways that to like you know safely now months into it maybe like all gather around an object and you know go through the precautions to be able to do so however puppetry is often predicated on this idea that we want the puppeteers to not be seen and in film unless you're really working toward that particular idea, it's much harder with the resources that we all have at home when we're filming things on our own or we're deciding to like make a movie in an office that we don't necessarily think about this idea of hiding the puppeteers as much. And on film, as we've seen a lot of our, our puppet friends who have like pivoted and started making filmed work, they don't necessarily care that they are seen and they're part of what you are ingesting as a viewer at home. And I'm curious if that ever like came into question for you both as directors of it. You know, did you decide that that was something that you didn't care about? Was it ever a moment where you're like, maybe in this moment we don't want to see a hand? I mean, you just kind of mentioned like maybe you don't see a hand in some points but you kind of see other things in other moments I'm just curious for you yeah yeah it's interesting I think for this there's like another world in which I think this movie 
gets made and 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 it is much more clear that things are being puppeteered but i think and as you mentioned you know everybody's trying to trying to figure this out these days and there have been such incredible examples including andy and dorothy who have been on the podcast with bill's 44th on on zoom you know live filmed or whatever and like seeing them so clearly on film and it being so incredibly successful as well as robin's show plastic bag store where all all of that all of the puppetry sequences got filmed and like and and we were all fully in black and and full you know with masks and everything but on film you can kind of see us coming in and out and I found that actually super compelling and and interesting to watch. So I'm yeah I'm so su- I'm so interested in that idea. And I think it's I think it reminds me of something Emily said just just re- just like a few minutes ago, which is about the kind of is I think in our case there was something about we've struggled about like, you know, is this puppetry? Like we're sort of trying to, there's something about, um, it's actually, it's less about like the things being puppeteered necessarily, or it's, 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 it's about that. And it's also about a focus on, um, objects and environment that doesn't even involve manipulation at all. Mm. And whether or not that is like, you know, capital P, puppetry (laughs) i'm not sure yeah but i think you know in the yeah in this world of sort of considering i don't know that that's something that like i think drove us more than like whether or not to see things manipulated somehow yeah i don't know what do you think emily i i feel like it would have been a weird distraction to like see people's hands manipulating the stuff in yeah i i agree i mean i think well i think two things First is we, which is not also a, which is not the most common thing. We're also characters in the in the piece. We always were. We play human beings, and then we, uh, in the live theater version, then we had to manipulate the objects as they moved. And so that was always like the the those. Where's that line? Like, are you allowed to be like? Is that the per- is that the character or is that are they when do they become a puppeteer like where's the line so there's Total. that but I also think I think that's a question that's like a thematic element of the piece that we've always been pushing and I think especially you Emma like a question that you've always had or like a desire like you mentioned something before about like oh like like the magic of puppetry is it magic like w- when do you see a hand and I think the point of the piece is a little bit to say even when it was live like it's no it's not magic they're there the whole time we're not mm. giving you a peek into like uh like a human version of the life that's going on like on the ground it's like no they're there the whole time and they're li- they're like <laughs> they're living an existence that's like related to us and pushing up against us as like capitalist machines you know uh all the time and um I don't right know. The, the objects are you the mean, objects like the are supplies are yeah totally right. like right. they're yeah they exist along they don't need to be you know activated by yeah an exterior force to sort of have this interesting like energy right 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 yeah and mm-hmm. it's like to watch yeah it's a different we kept using the phrase stapler gaze <laughs> 
in the um as opposed to the male gaze as opposed to the male gaze we had stapler gaze in our film and i think that's um i don't know that's it's i feel like stapler gaze is our version of like a puppeteer hand (laughs) that's i think that's exactly right cut print that was good uh, I think Stapler Gaze is the new name of this episode uh, as well. Um, I think another interesting thing, too, and I, I'm not sure how much you both have already talked about this in real life, but, you know, we always had the intention of trying to do this show uh, for a live audience. And we did like a very small, like work in progress version of it in 2019 when we were really crammed into a very small office space. And now that you all have made this film version, the cinematic version, is going back to a live theater version still of interest to you? Is it a completely different idea? Is it, I guess I'm curious for you both, how, like, where does it sit now? Like, do you finally feel like, okay, we finally got the version out that really feels like the real version as you kind of put Emma, Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is how I really finally saw things. Or is there something still to be explored with a live audience? I I think both in a way. We talked about this recently. Yeah, yeah, we were just talking about this. And I think like both of us are like, yeah, you know, the, the, maybe the film, oh, 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 is, is its final (laughs) is <laughs> its final form we have been working on this thing for a really long time but since also- 2017 <laughs> is that right yeah maybe 2016 oh, yeah. actually maybe 2016. because the election happened yeah no maybe 2017 Wait. i guess right after yeah, yeah no that makes sense yeah it's been a while yeah so there i think there's a lot about doing it as a film and again like we were saying before sort of making some final decisions about how it even goes or ends or (laughs) all these things that have been up in the air for so long feels a little bit like it's, um, you know, highest form, but Emily made this amazing, we were talking about this the other day and Emily brought up, you know, this like beautiful idea and, and sort of obvious and beautiful that I was totally missing, which was that like, we could also use parts of the movie in a future live iteration of it, you know, we could, we could like, you know, project certain things or I don't know, use it as a framework to create. Like chapter two, like what it's like, we, there is a way. And I think we, we both feel like, Oh, the film has sort of, I don't know. It's, this is a big question about all art pieces, right? Like when is it done? Like when has it reached its final phase and I think like there's a lot of things that have come to a conclusion and making it a movie and then it's opened up new doors and it's like chapter two is like the shadows of the staplers on the wall or you know whatever right exactly yeah the hell else like do we have (laughs) there's so much there that we didn't know was there until we got to this point of the story all right so Emily and Emma I know we have done this once before, but we're going to have you do it again. Are you willing to step into the puppet hot pot? The puppet hot pot. I accept. Yes, I accept as well. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask you a rapid fire series of questions and give us your best rapid answer. Here we go. Emily Zemba, what is your 
favorite Canadian thing you have adopted from your Canadian husband? Wow. Okay. I think it's got to be poutine, which, you know, is the delicious French fries with the cheese curd and a gravy. There's a lot of other things you can add. It's, uh, it's hot. It's delicious. It's poutine. Amazing. Uh, Emma That's also the name for her yes. husband. Uh, what is something <laughs> about, uh, <laughs> uh, Emma, what is something about Western New York you have adopted or have come to enjoy? <laughs> oh, um, you know, I enjoy a good regional meat sandwich wherever I travel in the United States. <laughs> uh, but I have to say that beef on whack has been my favorite so far. Love it. Uh, Emma, what yes, is... That's me again. What is a fun fact about Emily Zumba? <sighs> um, a fun fact about Emily Zumba is that... She- that she can make uh, a very special type of muffin. It's called a density muffin. And it's uh, a recipe that I don't remember, but it involves something, three of something, two of something, and one of something else. One, two, three, four, in fact. And four. <laughs> will not explain it any further. <laughs> we call them density muffins. I call them density muffins, but they, they're actually called something else. Right, Zumba? Correct. Uh, actually, I don't know what they're called. They're just... They're they're dense though. They're dense. They are a dense <laughs> cupcake situation. Not quite a cupcake. Not quite a muffin. One two three four. <laughs> a one two three four yeah. pastry. One two three four. All right, Emily Zumba. What is a fun fact about Emma Wiseman? Uh, a fun fact. I was <laughs> I, so I'm in Emma's apartment in Brooklyn right now, and she's not here. And I desperately just now just wanted to look around and choose something and be like well a fun fact is like here are her taxes no um, <laughs> fun fact about Emma Wiseman she uh, there's so many fun facts she hosts co-hosts but really I think is the perpetrator of the hosting of a wood chopping party every year at her homestead and where she brings friends and family together to chop wood to create warmth for the winter and I've never been to one of these parties because I don't know why I'm always invited but I can't make it but they are epic and iconic I'm not going to have them anymore because you aren't coming (laughs) please wait for me I cancelled the rest of them I've got your taxes right here so (laughs) well I, I, I love that that is a fun fact but I also feel like that's a very Connecticut thing. And I, now I'm curious Uh-oh. if you can give uh, maybe the most Connecticut thing that you know about Emily Zemba, Emma. You know, I, I feel like this is probably a repeat from our last conversation, but truly it's a it's a beautiful play called Tale of a Whaler that Emily uh, had to perform daily at Mystic Seaport in her youth. That's true. It's truly nothing more <laughs> Connecticut than that. <laughs> yep, know a lot about the 19th century whaling industry, and I've worn a corset to tell other people about it. That's, what's, that's what happens at Mystic Seaport. How old were you? Oh, okay. Well, I, so I first, I did a lot of summer programs there in my youth 
as a as a young young child I had a birthday party there probably when I was like in first grade and then I would later volunteer there and then I would grow to uh, work some summer programs when I was in high school then some of my first jobs some of my, my first acting job out of college was working in the summers at Mystic Seaport doing their daily children's play Tale of a Whaler three times a day uh, in a costume wore suspenders uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls gather around for a yarn of the century. And that's exactly how she would say that's it. That's exactly how I would say it. I was very enthusiastic. Yeah, and then um, I wrote some I wrote some plays with some company members there about women and women making waves, I believe was the title of the play we created one summer. Wasn't a hit, I'll tell you that. But it never is. Women never are. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, Miss Sixty Four. I love the idea that maybe you were wearing a corset while wearing suspenders at the same time. That well, yeah, yeah, I got that too. No, sorry, (laughs) two separate characters. I should. Okay. I should have made this clear. Yeah, no, I was. uh, Yeah, different times. Different times. I'll leave it at that. No, we're not being very hot pot about this. Sorry. Um, the hot pot, you know, sometimes elongates into like a slow simmer pot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Emma, yes. favorite puppetry form right now? Oh God, I guess it's gotta be it's gotta be Bunraku style. Mmm, three person manipulation technique. There it is. Uh, how about <laughs> Emily Zumba? Uh, is there a puppetry form that is tickling your fancy at this moment? Uh, nope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I hate puppetry, Sorry, as a matter of fact. Sorry. I, uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I think because of our recent conversations, I've been thinking a lot about shadow shadow puppetry lately but in mm. yeah yeah shadow puppetry I'm interested in that I've never done it but it's beautiful most interesting place in the world that your work has taken you when we could travel is that to both of us what is that to both of us to both of you at the same time same time Poland Ooh, Poland. Westport, Connecticut. No, hometown I, I of Emma <laughs> and Poland. Emily Zimbo. I should have said Westport, Connecticut. Not hometown. Poland is cool. That's very cool that you went there. But Westport, Connecticut was more interesting now that you... <laughs> I mean, it was it was lovely in its way, but it was a joke. I... <laughs> I, I think uh, Singapore has been the most interesting place that I've been for work. Puppetry work. Singapore and Poland. Singapore and Poland. Yeah. Finally, and I'll pose this to each of you. You don't have to answer at the same time. What is your wish for the world? Wow. <laughs> it's hard. Well, I don't. I mean, we're on the eve of a of a very confusing election. Um. I guess I don't know. My wish for the world is is just maybe a little more slowness. Hmm, that's great. Yeah. Uh, my wish for the world. 
is more of this. More podcasts, Josh, about puppets. No. Wish granted. (laughs) Aha. No, more of this. More of talking to people. I mean, we're in like three different locations right now. I'm in your apartment in Brooklyn while we're upstate. I've got your microphone. Sarah's in Rochester. We're still talking to each other. I mean... That's kind of fantastic. So, more of this. That's kind of great. That's nice. Well, I hope we have uh, more work from Emma and Emily. Excited to present it as part of the New York State Puppet Festival at Home series, uh, November 20th and 21st. And hopefully we'll see maybe a live in-person version as well when humans can gather again as part of the next in-person New York State Puppet Festival in Perry, New York. Thank you both for coming uh, again. <laughs> I know we tried this once. I'm glad we're doing it again. Um, and like you said, Emily, this is nice to be able to do this. So, yeah, thank you guys for doing it again. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Borgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. 